the reason I wrote this book is, and, and it's not to be judgy judgy. Like I am not on my pulpit. I am no way telling people that they should not drink. I'm just not, it's, it's not for me to do, but I am here to make sure everyone knows what they're giving up when they drink. They, Cause I think most people don't know that. They think as long as they're not an alcoholic, they're fine. No, 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 no. You're giving up so much more when it comes to just living a more holistic, well life because of alcohol. So we, Janet, in the book, walk people through that. So with the why, we really talk about how we are socially engineered from even little kids when it comes to drinking. We really get into how, by, how how pervasive alcohol is in our world that we don't even recognize why we think we have to drink, but it becomes so a part of, of a process of us being human beings that we really almost have little to no choice to, of drinking. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober Podcast, episode 156. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last seven years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we know from experience that it's really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community and each week we feature a community voice just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe. Good morning, Sober Springers. Chantal here. I joined Sober Spring Challenge last year thinking that I'd try and go 66 days and have a break from alcohol. It's honestly been one of the best challenges I've ever done. I adopted the attitude that this was for me and didn't allow comments from friends or family to deter me. I became curious, listened to podcasts, connected with like-minded people, signed up as a member of the best tribe around, and at the end of this month, it'll be a year. So those of you starting the challenge, well done. Place it head on with an attitude of excitement. Get ready to grow and glow. So if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. My guest this week is Ken Middleton. I first connected with Ken a couple of years ago after discovering his brilliant articles. He was first a guest on this podcast back in 2020, and we've been friends ever since. We share a passion to highlight the drawbacks of drinking and the joys of sobriety. As a fan of his articles, I was delighted to hear that he was going to publish a book. He kindly involved me in the development of the manuscript, 
and he's even included my story. The book is called Bamboozled and it's actually published today. In fact, I've got a message for you from author Ken. At the time of recording, it's April the 1st. He says, buy the book today on April the 1st and you'll find an April Fool's surprise and it'll be a nice one. The book is available on Amazon, so go check it out while you're listening. The subtitle of Bamboozled is How Alcohol Made Fools of Us All and it's a great read. After doing this work for so many years, I know a lot about this subject, but even I learnt from Ken's book. I began by asking Ken to introduce himself. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jane. I cannot believe it's been two years. Absolutely amazing that it's been that long. And we've been knowing each other for that long because it's also equally amazing. But um, just to give background, Ken McKimsey Middleton, I stopped drinking Janet four years ago. So to tell the listeners my kind of um, origin story, as they call it, I was someone who had been in sales for 14, 15 years, uh, been extremely successful, lived the world of a salesperson where you go out, you schmooze clients and you drink a lot. And as most people do, if you're thinking about do you have a problem with drinking, most people like to look at externally how you're doing. If you look at my life externally and you looked at the things I was doing, you would think I was rather accomplished. I had moved up, become a director with my company at the time, had been seen at, within the company as a high uh, achieving individual. So for me, I never considered alcohol being this problem. I decided to leave my company in uh, spring of 2017 because I thought at that time it was a great time for me to go into entrepreneurship. So I started to try to do my own thing. It was staffing sales that I were doing. So I thought I'd start my own staffing company. Fast forward to a year later and a year and 18 months later, and I had been busting my hump, Janet, for a long time trying to do everything I could to be successful. And as you know, it being an entrepreneur, you wear all hats. I was the finance person. I was I was the marketing person. I was the salesperson. I was the rec- I was everything. And uh, but I wasn't being successful. I was working 90, 100 hours a week, putting in all this time, but was not seeing the return on my investment. And I told my then girlfriend, now wife at the time that I might have to go back to corporate America because we all want to be entrepreneurs, but you got to pay the bills at some point. And I said, you know what, though, before I decide to go back to corporate America, I want to be able to look myself in the mirror and say unequivocally that I've given this opportunity a thousand percent. And I'd always known throughout the time that I was drinking, not uh, did I ever think I had a problem, no, but I always knew that drinking in the back of my head, I knew it didn't allow me to be 100% the next day. Um, I knew that when I had that hangover or that that phase of fog in my mind that I wasn't operating on all cylinders. Now, I used to have this saying, which is ridiculous, that my 70 or 80% is worth most people's 100%, whatever, that, that probably wasn't true, but at least that's what I told myself. But I still recognize that my inability ability to push it at 100% was holding me back. So I said, before I went back to corporate America, I wanted to see what it was like if I didn't drink at all. And if every day I woke up and I had the Ken Middleton that I know was hitting on a, on a, all cylinders and giving it a thousand percent. So I told my wife at the time that I was going to like take a break from drinking. Fortunately, I, I'm lucky to have an amazing wife. And she said she was going to do it with me. 
And I tell you, Janet, it, it was amazing in regards to the results that I experienced. So, and I tell people the big thing is because we look at, all right, what was the difference? Monetarily, it was tremendously different. I made different. I made more money in those three months of not drinking than I am made in the previous nine months with drinking. And I tell people it wasn't just a little bit more money. It was like a lot more money. Like it was like exponentially more money. So I was like, holy schmoly, there is something here. We need to look into this. We potentially need to extend this. Like this is a big deal. It's making a tremendous difference. And I sleep got better, exercise got better, eating got better. We saved so much money. And I just started looking at the totality of it. And then the other aspect, Janet, and this leads to the, the creation of Anif, Alcohol is Not Your Friend, and then eventually the book that we're going to talk about, Bamboozled. I started reading about alcohol and I started educating myself on all the things. I was like, man, why is it that I can think so much clearer and I sleep so much better and everything just seems to be so much better now? that I don't drink. And as I began to learn of how alcohol physiologically changes you over time and how it creates the need for addiction and, and how for itself, the need for itself and how it can increase, it can either hurt, it can either exacerbate or create even your anxiety. I started to recognize that, man, I did not know all of this, and I bet there's a lot of people who don't know all of this. And that's why I started writing articles on Anif, because I'm like, I just want people to know, because I didn't know all the ways alcohol negatively affects you without you being an alcoholic. In school, it often is the stratification of two dichotomies. Either you drink alcohol and you're fine, or you're an alcoholic and you have to go to AAA. There's no in between. And what I was learning and recognize is that there's this huge spectrum that we're all on. And there's this gray area of drinking that so much of so many of us are in that we don't recognize that's causing tremendous negative effect on our lives. I found it out and I was experiencing the results of not having it and I wanted to share it with others. And that's where I created Anif and I decided to write Bamboozled. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the fact that you're always saying that, you know, even if alcohol doesn't destroy us, it will prevent us from reaching our potential. And that example you've given us is a perfect example. You know, you were operating about 30% under your true potential. So that that's amazing. And, and, you know, you certainly didn't have a huge problem. You were just feeling a bit under par most days because of the booze. Yeah, it's in, it's incredible. That people don't recognize, Janet, that 30%, because they think of it in the moment of that day. But what they don't realize, and what we talk about in the book, and what I talk about in all my writing, is that it's compounding. Just like you have compound interest and in how it positively affects your life, your negative 30% is compounding negatively towards your life. And it's causing you to not, you're not just slow, like not a little bit reaching your potential. You are drastically reducing your potential and the level of ability that you can have. I always say, if you want to drink, it's fine. Like, that's okay. I don't care if you drink. To me, people get funny because they're like, oh, can I drink around you? Are you okay? And I'm like, listen. I don't care about you drinking. Me not drinking has nothing to do with you. Me not drinking is about me wanting to be my best self. If you want to be your best self, you you should probably not drink. But if you're okay with knowing that you're never going to be the best version of who you could possibly be, and you're okay with that, 
then drink as much as you want. That's I have no problem with it. Yeah. Yeah, we've been saying to people recently, you know, they, don't ask yourself, am I an alcoholic? That's the wrong question. Ask yourself, are you living your best life? I think we've got to reframe it, haven't we? Because we're so hung up on, you know, am I an alcoholic? And as you say, it's a vast spectrum. And many, many people are functioning alcoholics, if you want to put it that way. And, and the reality of it, I just want to say this one thing. The reality of it, Janet, is the fact that the people that are functioning act- alcoholics are the ones that could have the most benefit from not drinking. Because look how well they're doing with drinking. So if they take it away, they have the highest ceiling for themselves. They've got all that energy to redirect. I mean, I was like that. I kept my my life together. You know, I was drinking a lot, but I was also holding down a responsible job. I was bringing up a family. I was having a social life. I was doing everything. But it took enormous amount of energy, and it wasn't that enjoyable because I always knew, you know, subconsciously, I think, that I was just trying to keep all these balls in the air. But when I stopped, you know, once I'd got through the hard bit, the first six months was no fun, admittedly. But then you just feel this kind of surge of energy and creativity and you can start pointing at at more constructive things than just drinking. So, yeah, it's uh, it's incredible, really. So you know that I love your articles. I think that's how I found you, wasn't it? And you wrote that article about the science behind, um, you had such a great headline, the science behind dependency, really. And you said something like, if you drink regularly, you probably will become dependent over the years. And then you you went on to explain, you know, how we go from liking to have a drink to wanting to have a drink and then to needing to have a drink. So just summarize that for us quickly, please. Yeah, and that was where my eyes were really open, Janet, because you think about, all right, if you're born with the genes for alcoholism, you have become an alcoholic. You're born or you think that you think you're born with that or you think that if you just drink a lot, a lot like you really have to all of a sudden um, not think about life. You just want to experience the fun of alcohol. Then you will become an alcoholic. But no, that's not the reality of it. The reality of it is over time, consistently, you will become an alcoholic if you drink on a regular basis, right? Or at least it will become something from you do it because you want to, to you do it because you have to. And the way it works is like there's this um, difference in uh, uh, things, uh, opioids called endorphins and dynorphins, right? And I actually learned this from Annie Grace's book, This Naked Life, and then I just really understood it and wanted people to understand. Endorphins are the feel-good drug. It's like what we love. It's like every, when you hug somebody or you, you eat your favorite food. That's the endorphins. That positive feeling you have is what we all love. Alcohol, our body creates it normally. Alcohol creates it artificially. That's why we like to drink because it spikes our endorphins and makes us feel good. That's why when you're ready to dance at the party and you loosen up and you feel good, right? But what happens is your body, as we all know this, is created for us to stay in homeostasis. That's one of the things that keeps us alive because our body wants us to have that 98.6 temperature to be baseline to make sure because if we get too heightened it could be too much for our body and our organs over time can't take it our brain can't take it we can't be at that heightened level all the time so whenever we drink and these artificial endorphins are released 
our body automatically creates another opioid called a dynorphin that actually is a kind of like a downer to take us down to get us back to homeostasis level. So the endorphins are released when you drink. The homeo, the, the dynorphins are then released to bring you back to baseline. That's why after you drink a beer for that first 20 minutes, you feel amazing. 60 minutes later, you're like, okay, I need another beer. I don't have the same feeling anymore because the dynorphins have kicked in and they're bringing you back down. So then you have this consistent seesaw battle of dynorphins and they're going up and uh, excuse me, endorphins going up, dynorphins coming down, endorphins going up, dynorphins going down. So when you stop drinking at the end of the night, let's say it's one or two o'clock, you go home, you go to sleep, your dynorphins are still kicking in. And this is why people have this like post drink and anxiety or post-drink depression oftentimes that I didn't understand when you wake up from drinking and you just feel like crap and then you're regretting the night and you're thinking about all the stupid things you said and you just are like why am I doing this it's not part of it is because you probably said or did some stupid things but the other part is that your body you're no longer feeding it endorphins from the beer and your body is still getting the dynorphins from it trying to get you back to homeostasis so you feel bad because it's there now extrapolate this over time here's the cycle you consistently do that if you drink every day at five o'clock your body what happens as smart as your body is it begins to get used to the fact that that drink is coming every day at five o'clock so when you first drink because you want to feel good and you're like all right we want to have fun tonight let's have a good time your body starts to recognize all right ken drinks every day at five o'clock I know he's drinking today at five o'clock. So before he drinks and I have to then respond, won't I be a little proactive and release the dynorphins ahead of time preemptively? So when they release those dynorphins ahead of time, you're like, man, I wasn't even going to drink tonight, but I feel like I need the drink tonight. It's like this is part of what creates cravings because the dynorphins are you've created a pattern that the dynorphins are so used to that they're now preemptively coming into your body and making you feel a little down where you feel like hey i want to drink because i just feel a little meh i feel like my day wasn't that great and i just want to feel a little better so and this is what we all experience when we get like in our 30s or 40s because we've been drinking at that point for like 12 or 13 years so it doesn't happen immediately but after 12 or 13 years all of a sudden you used to drink because you wanted to now you drink because you feel like you need to a little bit you feel like you had like you it's part of your day and if you don't drink something feel like it's missing that's part of the cravings now, here's where it gets really scary. And this is what I tell people. When you cross this line, this is where you have a, a major problem. So when you go from the dynorphins releasing or dynorphins releasing preemptively and you feel like you have to drink, eventually the dopamine that you've been so used to getting artificially, your body will get so used to it that it'll stop creating it on itself. And when that happens, you're in a pretty bad position because not only are you feeling a little sad when the dynorphins are released at that five o'clock time, but you're feeling sad all the time because before that hug, that favorite food, all the things that you used to like would release dynorphins because it was uh, endorphins, because it was so used to getting it artificially from alcohol, that then becomes the only thing that creates the endorphins for you. And this is where when you see alcoholics in the advanced stages, it's like nothing makes them happy. And that's part of the reasons why a lot of scientists are saying alcohol causes depression because you are no longer able to create the natural dopamine to feel good or the endorphins to feel good. And then alcohol is the only thing that makes you feel good. So you go from liking 
to or warning to needing to drink it because you can only feel good by drinking and that's when you've crossed over into the area of alcoholism where if you drink consistently especially after you reach the age of 40 the chances of that happening comes a lot faster and quicker yeah and, and there's even another stage ken isn't there after that where you have to drink to feel normal and that's what happens you know when people wake up and they start drinking vodka or scotch or something it's just so that they can function which you know obviously nobody wants to get there so thank you for that brilliant explanation and you know staying with our neurotransmitters for a little bit if we've been relying on them to make us feel good for years then we quit uh, we're going to feel flat, aren't we, for a, a little while in early sobriety. And I share your view that we need a project. You know, if we have a project, if we have something to focus on, because when we stop drinking, we end up with time on our hands. You know, when drinking takes up a lot of time, planning it, doing it, recovering from it. So you've got time. And I know that your project, my project was to start Tribe Sober. Your project was to learn Korean and to write your book, Bamboozled. Both quite demanding projects, I imagine. Oh, God. Yeah, it's so it's, it's challenging. Um, yeah, and that was so that whole concept and you hit the nail on the head, Janet. It just goes back into the, the thought process of when you stop drinking. First of all, it's, it's not super easy because your body has physiologically been changed. Like I shared with you before, the cravings that you have are real. Your body is saying it needs alcohol and you're going to feel that twinge in your belly when you pass that favorite liquor store saying, why don't you go over there? So I tell people, and this is part of the book that's very important because the book is written in, 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 in um, four different parts, right? It's like asking questions. And first part of the questions is around like the why, like you talk about why do we all drink i want people to understand the reasons that we drink and what goes into that and then when we talk about the why then we talk about the what in regards to what you have to gain if you stop drinking i want people to understand career financial relationships all the stuff you can gain from not drinking from doing it the right way and then we talk about the how and that's the part you're to now the how is how do you stop drinking and i tell people if you can try to white knuckle it if you want to but that's going to be really really hard and there's two things i tell people you need substitutes and routines so if you want to quit substitutes and routines are your best friend because you need something to your point to take the place of all the time you were spent drinking you need something to place take the place of that and then routines when you were so used to drinking every day at five o'clock and i we talked earlier about the dinorphins and endorphin cycle you got to find a new cycle to replace that because if not and you're sitting around and doing nothing at five o'clock every day guess what your body's going to want you to drink yeah i think it's so useful to understand the science so that when we start craving a drink at five we realize it's not just a lack of willpower it's actually a physical thing it's a craving due to the fact that alcohol has rewired our brain over the years in your book you recommend the meds method as a way to quit drinking. So what's that all about? So the concept of the meds, M-E-D-S, is the big thing in the book we talk about in regards to how you help people stop drinking. So if you talk about the first one, M, M stands for mechanical engineering. And the big thing about that is what we talked about earlier ago when I was talking about Nancy Grace, This Naked Mind, and all the other book, Craig Port, um, William Porter, David um, Craig Beck, all these great art, um, authors that created these books that explain what the issues are. And I tell people, 
when you first think about not drinking, and this sounds a little controversial to some people, but I'm, I, I believe it. I tell people, don't stop drinking. You, you don't have to. You can. That's fine. But I tell people, don't stop drinking because what I want you to do, though, I want you to start reading and learning what and educating yourself on what drinking does to you. And then I want you to kind of do an experiment on yourself and see is this really happening to you? Like all of the stuff you're reading about that you thought was a phenomenon, prime example, and I, I always feel funny the fact that I never recognized this. I never made the connection that when I woke up at two or three o'clock every night and couldn't get back to sleep, that it was because of alcohol. I never made that connection. I just thought it was because I just had trouble sleeping. I didn't know that if I hadn't been drinking for five and six hours and my whole um, neurotransmitters were off and I my synapses weren't clicking the way they weren't to and they're supposed to and that the norphine increase wasn't overwhelming me that I would sleep through the night, right? So look at what the books are telling you alcohol does and then see does it cause anxiety do you recognize that you're having that low in the morning and then once you recognize that then you can juxtapose it against if you don't do it so when you stop you've done a scientific view of what it felt like when you were drinking and you really were conscious because most people when we drink and that's why i use the term alcohol consciousness because most of us when we drink we just don't think about it like we just do it mindlessly. But when you do it and you think about it and you really observe yourself, you start seeing all these things that are happening to you in the way you're thinking. So I tell people, don't stop drinking, observe yourself. And then when you stop drinking, you have something to compare it to. Okay, so we did the M of meds. That's mechanical engineering. What does the E stand for? Exercise commitment is E for the second step. And that's when it comes to the substitutes and routines. You're going to have a lot of time. You're going to have to figure out something to do differently. And I think exercise is one of the best things you can do with your time because it helps you live longer. Not drinking is going to help you live longer, but exercising is going to help you as well. And the other part of exercising is that it's been scientifically proven that it helps reduce your cravings. One of the things that one of the very few things naturally that can create dopamine in your body outside of something artificial has been proven to be exercise. The runner's high, as they call it, things of that nature. It increases your dopamine release and decreases your crazing, cravings. And then the next part is D. D stands for diet improvement, right? Which is like eating right. Because I tell people, I... I love exercise because it's an external representation of how you're feeling internally. And I truly believe to get people on board and, and to have a better sense of motivation of wanting to do something, they can feel that they change, but it helps when they can see it. So if you are exercising, all of a sudden your, your, your skin feels brighter, your body feels toner, you have more energy. That's why I love that as being a substitute because it gives you that external representation. And if you're not eating right, sometimes you can exercise and you won't see any change because you're eating crap so you can't just eat crap all the time um and the other side is that there's so many things from a vitamin d perspective when you talk about serotonin that eating the right foods can it can help you feel better you talk about um, the, um vitamin b and folate from eating green leafy foods can also help with your dopamine release so there's something when it comes to eating the right foods that can also decrease your cravings you're listening to a podcast from tribe sober if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. So let's summarize the meds framework so far. We've got M for mechanical engineering. We've got E for exercise. We've got D for diet. So what about the S? What does the last letter stand for? 
success seeking. And that's just the one that I tell people, when you quit, you've given yourself a gift. You really have. And, and it's up to you what you do with that gift. But if you're, we talk about function alcoholics and how much better and more energy you're going to have. If you're going to take your sobriety or your alcohol consciousness and you're just going to sit on the couch and watch Netflix all day, I kind of feel like you're wasting it. And what happens if, when you're doing that, what eventually happens is you're going to be like, well, my life was my life was was fine before I was drinking, and now that I'm not drinking, it's not that much better. It might be a little bit better, but it's not, and it might make you go back to drinking. But when you create a version of yourself, or you create a goal that you know your pre-alcohol conscious self could have never done, then you give yourself something that you're not willing to give up so easily. My man, um, Jeff Graham from the Back to Zero podcast, he actually had a great analogy. That I was like, man, I'm going to steal this from you because I love it. it was, I call it the wallet analogy. And here's how it works. If you have a wallet that you have in your pocket and you're walking down Main Street and you, don't, you didn't put any money in that wallet at all, the wallet is brand new. There's nothing in it. So when someone comes to me and says, hey, give me your wallet, you're going to be like, well, I don't want to, you know, I, I could fight this guy. He doesn't have a gun or anything, but why even get into it? There's nothing in this wallet here. Take my wallet. Right. But if you put a bunch of money in that wallet, you got your credit cards in there, you got your driver's license, you got all the stuff that's important to you, pictures of your family in that wallet. If some dude just walks up to you and say, give me your wallet, they don't have a gun or anything. They're just saying, give me your wallet. You're like, I'm not. No, I'm not giving you my wallet. Like. I, you may you're gonna have to take it from me i i'm not gonna there's i have way too much to lose in this wallet to just give it to you so when you in your sobriety and your alcohol conscious if you're not giving yourself a goal if you're not pushing yourself to be the best version if you're not trying to do something that you couldn't do before you're just walking around with this wallet in your pocket with nothing in it so when something comes up that's hard that makes you want to go back to give it away you're just going to give it away but when you put so much into it when life starts to get hard because giving up alcohol doesn't solve everything you're going to have you're still going to have problems you're going to have to figure out you've grown and you've gained so much in the new version of yourself that you're like hey i know this is hard but i ain't giving it up to go back to who i was because i didn't i've come too far i put too much in this wallet that we ain't giving it away and that's what that success seeker does wow yeah good for jeff he's got some good analogies that one I love it. I told him I'll take I give him credit, but I'm like, man, I'm taking that, man. That is a great analogy. I love it. So um, let's talk about fading effect bias for a moment, because I know you've read William Porter's books. And I just wondered, you know, what the science is behind that, because fading effect bias, if anyone's listening and doesn't know what it is, it's when we've been sober for a while and we're doing fine and then maybe three four months in we think oh I feel pretty good now maybe I can maybe I wasn't that bad maybe I can just have a glass of wine at that wedding I'm going to on Saturday it's so sneaky isn't it and then you know we've seen it in our community again and again and and what happens is gradually that odd glass it it keeps you know another one another one and a, a couple of months down the road, you're back to square one. So it's it's so sad when that happens. What what do you think the science is behind that? Well, it's so scary, and it's just a natural part of who we are. As as in, it's it's nothing 
unusual, but as further you get away from something, the more you romanticize how that thing was. So in the moment, most of the time, sometimes people have these rock bottoms and they're like, I never go back to drinking because the emotional negativity of that of that period, you're just, you're, you know that you're not going to go back. But six months down the road, you forgot what it felt like. And I just tell people, this is what happened in a lot of relationships. You got people that they keep going back to this relationship that wasn't bad because their mind has a tendency as usually we depress the bad things and we heighten the good things. And so you just need, and that's where success seeking actually relates to the faded effect bias because it gives that extra feeling to remind you like you can't go back to who you were because even though you think it wasn't that bad because your mind is going to trick you and only point out the good things if you do go back you're going to give up so much more so i just tell people like you got to you got to really work hard to be a different version of yourself and i love the writing thing and this is whether it can be journaling or however you decide to do it but remind yourself how you were like go as you're going through your journey you don't have to write articles to be read you can if you want to you don't have to but writing for yourself and journaling and reminding yourself the process you're going through helps you remember what it was like when you were in the moment because if not that phatic effect bias is real and it's the reason that a lot of people relapse because they just forget where they came from yeah and do you know what we do in our community we've got this tool that we recommend and it's a goodbye to alcohol letter so we ask people just to write a letter and you're breaking up with alcohol like you'd break up with an abusive lover or something why are you breaking up you know pour out your heart why it you know upset you and ruined your life etc etc and keep that letter by you and that'll you know help to keep the fading effect bias away i think so let's go to bamboozled shall we i must tell you that i don't know if that was a working subtitle or if you're going to keep with that one but i loved it when it said how alcohol made fools of us all it's so true it certainly made a fool of me are you going to keep that one yes good good Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that that's in print. That's not going to change. Fabulous. Yeah, it's such a good subtitle. So if anyone's listening to this and you know maybe they still drink a bit and they're thinking, what do they mean? It makes fools of us. Talk to that. Talk to that subtitle a bit. Yeah. So the, the so we go through in the book in regards, and I shared earlier how it's written in four different sections. The reason I wrote this book is, and, and it's not to be judgy judgy, like I am not on my pulpit. I am no way telling people that they should not drink. I'm just not, it's, it's not for me to do. But I am here to make sure everyone knows what they're giving up when they drink. They, Because I think most people don't know that. They think as long as they're not an alcoholic, they're fine. No, 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 no. You're giving up so much more when it comes to just living a more holistic, well life because of alcohol. So we, Janet, in the book, walk people through that. So with the why, we really talk about how we are socially engineered from even little kids when it comes to drinking. We really get into how, by, how, how pervasive alcohol is in our world that we don't even recognize why we think we have to drink, but it becomes so a part of, of a process of us being human beings that we really almost have little to no choice to, of drinking. Prime example, 
I went with my wife to the movies six weeks ago, and we're watching Puss in Boots Part 2, or Part 3 maybe, I don't even remember. But you got Puss, who's the main character, in a, a bar drinking ale with everyone else, and he's the, the, the star of the show. And this is a kid's show, and it's like... No one's thinking that maybe this is something that we should be showing the kids. Not, you know, not that big of a deal. I'm not somebody that's like, let's go crazy. But I do. But we talk about Hollywood and how it's shown in everything that we do. And that as we grow up, it becomes we see it with everything that happens. Like we go to baby showers. People are drinking. We go to wedding showers. We go to weddings. We go to birthday parties. Everything we do, we never stop and think about does it make sense for alcohol to be here? So we take people through how we learn drinking by seeing other people do it. It's experience in college, like that's the big one. You go through college and experience there, and then you learn it when you go into the corporate world with happy hours and how that's just as, as big as anything. For some, even with your success, I will tell anyone, my former company, happy hours, if you didn't do happy hours, I, I'm not going to say you had to drink, but I will say if you didn't go to the happy hours, you were negatively affected from a career standpoint because it was, it's not like on the golf course when people were making deals, but people were building relationships and that's where things were happening. So we just talk about all of that, how like we think we're making the choice to drink and it's something we want to do, but we don't recognize how so many external factors help make us have to drink. And then we just walk through all the ways that you're not recognizing that you're you're you think alcohol is your best friend. That's where I thought alcohol was best friend, but where you are negatively uh, affecting your ability to do so many other things because of where you how you think alcohol is helping you. And the way we do that is through story. So there's this there's in all the part of the different um, the different parts of the book we have these things called alcohol parables. And what alcohol parables are, they are stories of individuals. Nobody's hit rock bottom. Nobody's life is terrible. It's just in individuals, kind of that 19.4% they call the function alcoholic of people that drink and they still live a function life, but maybe they drink too much. And we, we have two people that are typically going on one path. And then at some point in that story, both of them say, man, I don't know if I should keep drinking because I'm having this or I'm having that. One person decides to give alcohol a break and go a different way. And the other person decides that, man, I'd be okay. I'm just going to keep drinking, to keep drinking. And then you're able to see how their lives go in two totally different directions because of the decisions that they made. And that's where we want people to recognize your life might not be terrible, but your life can be so much better if you make the decision to not drink. And that's how alcohol is making a fool of us because it's making us believe we need alcohol to live a better life. Whereas if we give it up, it could be way better than we could even imagine it could be. Yeah. Yeah. I love the stories in the book. It's uh, it just brings it alive and it really accentuates that fact. And when I'm coaching, sometimes I say to people, just fast forward your life five, even 10 years. Imagine, you know, if you carry on drinking like you are now, what's it going to look like? Maybe you stop. What will the alcohol-free path look like? And, you know, pretty much the, the the drinking path will, I mean, if people are lucky, they won't get any health-related problems, but it'll be pretty much the same their life because I think alcohol keeps you stuck. But the alcohol-free path, it's a complete adventure. You know, they've no idea how it'll pan out. And I know so many people whose lives are, are 
you know, being transformed and being completely changed because they gave up drinking. You know, I know people that have got divorced, but that's what they wanted. I know people that have left their jobs. I know people that have moved to different countries. It's amazing when you really get back in touch with yourself and start asking yourself, what do I really want out of my life? Because alcohol kind of puts you on automatic pilot, doesn't it? We don't, we don't think very much when we drink a lot. It's Groundhog's Day. I mean, we have a chapter in the book called Groundhog's Day that talks exactly about that because you just you're not thinking like you. Like I said, alcohol conscious. It's not about you not drinking. It's about you being aware of what you're giving all up. You're being health conscious, just like if you don't eat fried chicken, you don't eat sugary sweets. It's the same concept by not by really understanding and looking at your life. You'll just be surprised at the different choices you will make. And I, I love, and I, I tell people like, you talk about the health concerns, Janet. I tell people at the age of 40, and I, I, I like, I'm, I'm telling people like, you can drink if you want to, but at the age of 40, I personally believe, and I will not change this, I believe nobody should drink because it gets exponentially worse and more dangerous once you at that age because of scientifically your body holds less water than it did before. So the effect of alcohol is so much stronger. Your liver does not work in the same way that it works when you were younger. So when you're, and I, I use the car analogy. I said, if you're 20, if you take a car and it's right off the lot and you want to go out and do donuts in a, in a mud field, that car is probably going to be okay. Not a big deal. It's brand new, right? A carburetor, whatever. It's probably going to run fine. But if you go take a car that's 20 years old and you try to do donuts in the field, something probably is going to break down. And that your body, what happens, let's go back to the car thing, your carburetor, a new carburetor, it filters things much quicker, right? It starts the car faster, whatever, whatever carburetor does. I'm not really, I'm not on the car thing, but whatever the carburetor does, it's, it's doing it really, really well. Your carburetor that's 10, 20 years old, I think it's, it recharges your battery. It's not going to recharge your battery as well, and then your battery's going to die and you're done. When you're drinking after 40 your liver doesn't work as well so alcohol is a carcinogen it is a it, it causes cancer and it's deposited in your liver longer when you're older so i tell people when you're at 40 your risk of cancer from alcohol goes through the roof so you can keep drinking if you want to but when you talk about hey extrapolate your life five years and see what it looks like it is drastically different Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at TribeSober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. Yeah, you're, you're so right, Ken, because... Um I remember a doctor telling me, um, you know, that you can do pretty much anything until you hit 40 and then you've got to start looking after yourself. And I know that's true now. And I'm, you know, a bad example, really, because, well, I guess I'm a good example because obviously I'm a bit older and I carried on way after 40 and I had cancer. And then I started having um, serious blackouts and uh, I interviewed a a doctor on the podcast just two weeks ago and he said to me it's such a good job that you um eventually stopped because those blackouts the serious you know walking talking six-hour blackouts that i was having he said that's 
that would have turned into brain damage. You know, it's it, you just don't play with it when you get to that stage. So I think I just stopped in time. But um, yeah, I mean, if any, for I, lo- I love it when young people come on our workshops and they join our community because I think, yes, you know, your future is going to look different now because of doing this. So, yeah, I agree. Don't drink after 40. But you're a great example, Janet, because because even though you stopped when you were a little later, yeah, look at all the great things you were able to do. And we talk about the concept of decadeism, which you're in the book. Thank you so much for writing that chapter about decadeism. It's around, it's never too late. It's never too late. And once you stop, your body is amazing because it will heal itself, right? It will heal itself and you can get almost to your precognition levels, if not even greater, when you stop. And then I tell people, so decadism is the concept of when you, it goes kind of the gift analogy. When you stop drinking, you give yourself a great gift because you can do some amazing things, right? So we talk about success seeking. But the other aspect of it is the pragmatic aspect of when you stop drinking at a certain age, 40, let's use 40 example, you're going to extend your life 10, 15, 20 years. The things you can do in that time frame are amazing. So for me, when I stopped drinking at 38, I was like, man, I wish I would have stopped drinking. I was 28. Look at the life I could have, if I was 28, all the things I could have done. And then I started thinking, well, 28 and 38 is only 10 years. And you can do some amazing thing in 10 years. And if you look at the average lifespan of anybody, I think the average lifespan is around 79 or 80 years old. I think in the UK, it's like 81.2 years. In the United States, it's like 79.6 years, right? So most people are going to live to about 80 years old. If you think about the difference between 80 and 70, there's a difference, but it's not that big of a difference. And the way you lived your life is the biggest indication of that difference in regards to the quality of health and things of that nature. So by giving yourself, stop drinking and giving yourself the gift of sobriety, alcohol consciousness, you're going to automatically give yourself a better quality of life. So the concept of decadism is think about who you want to be 10 years from now and start working towards that goal. And then the other aspect is Think about if you were 10 years younger, what would you tell your 10 year younger self and what would you start doing? Age is a social construct that we created. No one says that, I mean, you don't have to believe that you are a certain age. You just have to act and operate in the way you believe your age is. So I tell people, don't let age hold you back. Act like you told your 10 year younger self, all the things you would you know now and start operating as if you're yourself 10 years younger and just executing and you will be amazed at the things you can accomplish. Mark Zuckerberg Zuckerberg was 19 years old when he founded Facebook. He was 20 at 29 years old, he was worth 16.1 billion dollars. You can do a shitload of stuff in 10 years, right? Like so 10 years you can do. So don't hold yourself back by thinking it's too late. You learn when you learn, you know better, you do better. You have your future ahead of you. Go out and get it. Don't let age hold you back and create that much better version of yourself now that you know the truth. And don't let anything stop you from doing it. And that's what decade is. It's like, it's just this motivating factor to let people know it's never too late to learn to stop drinking. Learn today and then build that 10-year version of yourself and do some amazing stuff in those 10 years. Such great advice, Kent. Let's finish off with you telling us why you wrote Bamboozled and who it's for. 
one of the reasons I wrote Bamboozin and what I tell people all the time. I am not a sobriety coach. I'm not. Like for me, sobriety, the coaches are amazing. Like, and I say that to mean that I can help people that may have a problem with drinking, but if you're like addicted to drinking and you are, you need to go to rehab. I am not the person for you because I I never experienced that. I never had rock bottom. I don't know how you feel. I wrote Bamboozled for people that want to build the best version of yourself. And I tell people I'm a wellness advocate. And what I mean by that is I want you to live the very best life possible in all shapes, forms, and fashions. That's why I throw decadism in there. Doesn't it, it relates to drinking tangentially about you feeling good about when you decide to give up drinking, but more it's around people holding themselves back by this concept of age and thinking that they can't do stuff because I just don't believe it. And I tell people for me, is a concept of an inverted triangle. And I, I keep it right here to show people stopping drinking and just to show your audience, it's the, it was the beginning of my inverted triangle because here's the base. And the inverted triangle is what is at the bottom or what holds you back more than anything else in the world once you get that under control it can be different things for different people for me it was alcohol for some people it could be food for other people it could be the opposite sex whatever it is it could be anything right once you get that under control then you give yourself the license to start building upon that by looking at all of the other aspects of your life that you can do better. So once I got my drinking under control, then I can start looking at my sleeping, then I can start looking at my eating, then I can look at my exercise, then it went to meditation, and then it went to my emotional wellness. It's like stopping drinking gives you now the ability to start building, building, building a life that you could never have had before. And if I would go back to drinking using a wallet analogy again, Everything that I built on top of that inverted pyramid will implode upon itself. So I tell people like, you, you, the, stopping drinking is the beginning of the journey. That's just the beginning. The wellness journey is a long-term vision for you to create a life that could be way more amazing than anything you thought it could have been before if you really lean into it. Yeah, there's a kind of dynamo effect, isn't there? And you start looking at different things and and I, I see people experiencing that all the time. So, yeah, I mean, I love the premise of your book because there, there's lots of quitlet out there and it's very good quitlet, but it tends to be mem memoir. You know, half of it is a memoir, how, you know, they hit rock bottom and then they, they got out of it and they thrived. And the other half of the book is probably tips, you know, and that's fantastic. But you're, and but there's loads of them, and yours is a completely different angle, and I think it's it's going to do so well. So where can people find it? I've read it and I loved it. Yeah, so it is. Um, so you can go to the bamboozlebook.com. T H E bamboozled B A M B O O Z L E D book.com so people go there they can actually read chapter two out of the book an excerpt to get right now you can also then sign up to get on my mailing list for it to come out or and get a digital version the um, last week is I tell people right now late March early April where you'll be able to get a, a digital version where you can read the whole thing and hopefully in the next three to four weeks I will be emailing pre-purchase a link so people can go ahead and pay for their version and get ready to actually read it. Uh, and then if you want the physical copy, that is going to be out where you can buy from all your favorite bookstores, Target, Amazon, Barnes & Noble in August of this year. Thank you so much, Kent. Let's pull out some of the key points from that conversation. 
Unlike myself and many of my podcast guests, Ken didn't come to sobriety from a place of addiction. He came from a place of curiosity. He just wanted to see how he felt without alcohol. He'd always been a high performer in his sales job, but he knew that he wasn't operating at 100%. As he settled into his sobriety, his performance at work shot up by 30%. He came to the conclusion that alcohol drastically reduces our potential. He talked about the compounding effects. For example, when we drink, we only get two cycles of REM sleep when we need about seven. Drinking regularly means the fatigue will simply build up and up over the years. I can really identify with this. When I hit 60, I felt tired all the time, but I'd resign myself to the fact that this is what ageing felt like. Seven years of sobriety has changed everything for me, and I wake up full of energy these days. In fact, my exhaustion had nothing to do with my age and everything to do with my alcohol consumption. We talked about comparisons and how dangerous it is to compare ourselves with hardcore alcoholics, so we end up convincing ourselves that we're not that bad. Of course, the comparison we should be making is with the best version of ourselves we could be. So the question to ask is not, am I an alcoholic? Rather ask, am I living my best life? Ken explained that functioning alcoholics are actually the ones with most to gain from ditching the booze. They've been expending huge amounts of energy just keeping the show on the road. I know I did. Performing well at work, managing a family and a social life is not easy when you're feeling anxious and worried about your drinking problem that you are far too ashamed to talk about. Ken summarises the science of alcohol dependency in detail in an article which I'll put in the show notes. I'm not going to summarise the science here because you can read the article or you can listen to Ken explaining it during the conversation. What I will do is reinforce the scary bit that drinking consistently over time will result in us not being able to enjoy things without it. Our brain will have rewired so it can no longer produce dopamine of its own. And that's why early sobriety is so hard. Our brain has not yet recalibrated to trigger our happy brain chemicals naturally. And without our chemical-induced alcohol high, we feel very flat. If you're at that stage, then please hang in there and have a listen to my podcast interview with Dr. Loretta Broining, episode 55, How to Combat Those Early Sobriety Blues. Ken made the very good point that if we're reluctant to ditch the booze, we can just carry on drinking, but we should listen and learn, and gradually you'll start joining up the dots and realising why you wake up at 3am feeling anxious, why you're constantly tired and depressed, why you're gaining weight and sleeping badly. And once you understand what's causing these things and realise that you don't have to keep suffering, your desire to drink will diminish. Reading Ken's book, Bamboozled, is a great place to start. His goal in writing the book has been to help people realise what they are losing out on when they drink, even if they're not dependent yet. Alcohol will always prevent us from reaching our potential. In the book, he explains about how we're manipulated to drink by marketing and societal norms,
The liquor industry grooms us from our teenage years. They want to capture us as lifelong customers. I loved his use of stories in the book, alcohol parables as he calls them. He compares the lives of two people on similar tracks. One of those people decides to quit drinking and the other just carries on. Their futures turn out very differently. Once again, emphasising his point that alcohol will prevent us from reaching our potential. Ken maintains that nobody should be drinking alcohol after the age of 40, as the damage it does will increase exponentially. We have less water in our bodies as we get older, less water to dilute the effects of alcohol. You can learn more about this and many other fascinating facts in Ken's book. So why not pop into Amazon and order your copy of Bamboozled right now? You're going to get a very nice April Fool's surprise, but only if you put an order in today, the 1st of April. We launched our brand new group coaching program last week called Path to Purpose. Our recovery coach, Lynette, is taking 10 people on an eight-week journey of transformation. At the time of recording, we still have two places left. So if you'd like to know more, just check out the homepage of our website, tribesober.com. Let me end with a message from one of our chat rooms. This one's from Mel in the UK. My downfall came on Saturday night. My partner was hosting a quiz for the local community, wine and beer everywhere. I caved and had two glasses of wine. I felt really bad and switched to alcohol-free beer, so I just about caught myself, but I'm still annoyed. The cravings are the worst, but I'll try again this weekend. Luckily, friends are coming to stay who don't drink, so Saturday night will be a lot easier. I'm just so glad I'm on this 66-day challenge, because it's really making me think, and I'm approaching it differently. Rather than looking for perfection, I'm looking for improvement and realise it's a long journey, but I will get to where I choose to be in my own time. The messages I got from this group yesterday pulled me through, so thank you to everyone. It really helps me to stay focused and less alone. So that was Mel from the UK, who's currently doing our 66-day challenge. I'm so glad that she's saying that the journey is about progress and not perfection. Being on the 66-day challenge means getting in as many alcohol-free days as you can. Building up your sober stretches is the way forward. We've just scheduled our next Zoom workshop for April the 22nd. And of course, we have our online course that you can start at any time and work through at your own convenience. It's called Kickstart Your Sober Life. So you can read about our workshop and our online course on tribesober.com. Finally, if you'd like a copy of our free PDF, Tribe Sober Battle Plan, just drop me a line, Janet at tribesober.com. That's it from me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. 
We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.